Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Drop down and get your swashbuckle on. It's Triple Threat Theater, episode 84. Swab the poop deck. I'm Joe Daxberger. I'm Ryan Miller. Shiver me timbers, Mills. Yo ho ho. And a bottle of podcast. Ooh. Bottle that up and sell it. <laughs> I knew the episode was called Swab the Poop Deck, but still, when you said it, I couldn't help but laugh because you said <laughs> poop. <laughs> yep. That's how we get down in these parts. <laughs> uh, do you think it was difficult to guess the three movies for this theme? You know, I was kind of going to open with a similar question because does Hollywood have that illustrious of a pirate history? I feel like pirate movies are kind of like the way people talk about Westerns. Like once upon a time, like Westerns were the hot thing. I feel like somebody somewhere on the Internet at some point in the last two decades because of the rise of superhero movies uh, and the like never ending discussion of when is the superhero movie bubble going to burst, you know, uh, someone somewhere on the internet, I feel like wrote a think piece at some point where they essentially said like, once upon a time, Westerns were the biggest thing and they were constantly coming out and then the times just changed and now there's hardly any Westerns anymore. And the same thing will happen to superhero movies eventually. And I feel like everybody read that or heard that anecdote from somebody else. And now I've like, I've had numerous people tell me that over the years and it's like, a common thing now where everyone's like, yeah, Westerns were the thing once I feel like pirate movies were probably that as well. Or like swashbuckling high adventure kind of Robin hood ish movies, you know, mm. back mm-hmm. in the days of Errol Flynn and the like. Okay. But do you think any of that, how specific that is to pirates? I don't know. I mean, pirates Caribbean is like overtaken any discussion of movie pirates, but. Yeah, I mean, outside of Pirates of the Caribbean, can you name another pirate movie from the past 20 years? Cutthroat Island. I said 20 years. That was 1995, oh. my friend. <laughs> 20, 20 years? Yeah, I don't think anyone was trying to no one was trying to uh, nudge in on Pirates of the Caribbean, right? Yeah, and I mean, everything you read about Cutthroat Island, you know, it's like people say that that movie kind of uh, put the kibosh on other pirate movies for a while. I mean, it wasn't mm-hmm. super long, like less than 10 years before Pirates of the Caribbean came out. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, there's just, there's not a lot of these these days. I'm sure there's like some that we're just not thinking of or yeah. pirate adjacent. But yeah, definitely like within our lifetime, pirate movies aren't like a huge thing. You know, I, when I was a kid, I used to watch Hook a lot. And that was like Pirates and Captain Hook and Peter Pan and all that. I guess that eh, maybe pirate adjacent, just like Goonies, maybe a little pirate adjacent. Yeah. Uh, Hook has pirates in it. I mean, the ending is like on a pirate ship, so I think that counts, Mm -hmm. even though Mm -hmm. it's also fantasy and... Whimsical pirates. Children's fable and all that. Mm. Uh, But yeah, pirates is one of those things that's just like... 
I've never read like Treasure Island or any classic pirate literature. I've mm-hmm. seen a couple of movies here and there, but it just feels like growing up, pirates is just a thing you kind of are aware of. That's a good point. I was, for some reason, I was a pirate for Halloween once, so I do remember that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's kind of a go-to, like, when the the parent is in charge of dressing up the child. You got. Like, I picked that, Milzy. Oh, you did? Yeah. I mean, you you definitely have a nautical bent, I'll say that. <laughs> so, like, while that's like I'm true. describing how I didn't have a huge pirate influence as a child, like, I wouldn't be too surprised if you came at me with some obscure titles or no, something I mean, along those lines. Of all things, no. I mean, nautical bent, absolutely, but... Um, <laughs> I mean, I would have been less surprised if you said that when you were a kid, you went as, like, a... Uh, an old-timey diver in one of those big metal suits. Oh, man. That would have been something. <laughs> I could still do that. <laughs> you certainly could. <laughs> I'm surprised you haven't. Yeah, not... I can't say not a ton of pirate business hot in the streets, but um, for tonight, we have 1962's The Pirates of Blood River. Mm-hmm. 1995's aforementioned Cutthroat Island. Yep. And 1996's Muppet Treasure Island. <laughs> yes, yes you do. I'm sure everybody thought that at least one of the movies we're talking about would have been Pirates of the Caribbean, but mm-hmm. uh, we zig when you zag. That's Not tonight, goes. bastards. I've seen all of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. So have I. I've seen these three. Yes. Offhand, I can't think of another full-on pirate movie I may have seen. Interestingly enough. Hmm. Yeah, I struggle to think of another, like, outside of something like Hook, like we talked mm-hmm. about, another, like, straight pirate film that I would have seen. I had seen Cutthroat Island before. Uh, Pirates, oh. of, Pirates of Blood River I had never seen before, despite owning it three different times. Mm-hmm. And, uh... Yeah, Muppet Treasure Island, maybe I saw when I was a kid. Like, I was never a huge Muppet person. Like, I watched some Sesame Street when I was a kid, which is, like, Muppet adjacent. And I I used to watch the Muppet Babies cartoon, but, like, I was never, like, a Muppet show viewer or, like, a huge fan of the Muppets. But uh, I very well may have seen this before. This, um... I'm just about 100% sure this is like the first like Muppet production I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, yeah. I did also I did also watch Muppet Babies. Mm-hmm. So I do remember that. Um yeah, I don't think I've ever watched anything live action uh Muppet. Never saw Cutthroat Island or Pirates of Blood River, even though I own it thanks to you. <laughs> yeah, that was uh I mean, I guess I might as well tell the story there, so. <laughs> yeah, do do people on the show, well, people on the show or, I mean, people that listen to the show probably know that you uh, love you the uh, physical medias. I would as say do, so. As do I, but not to the level. My my boy, Ron Miller. You love it. I'm obsessed with it. Um... Ooh, <laughs> that's actually a good best way to put that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Pirates of Blood River is a Hammer movie, so... I like Hammer. When I discovered that um, some years ago now, a company called Twilight Time, which is like a a small film Boutique. distribution company, yeah, 
boutique distributor. Uh, they had Pirates of Blood River, so I bought a copy from them. Didn't get around to watching it. And then uh, a year or three later, discovered another company out of the UK called Powerhouse Indicator. And uh, a lot of their releases are Region B only, which is like the UK region. And regular Blu-rays and DVDs that are Region B you can't watch on a typical American player in the U.S. Uh, The U.S. is Region A. Ridiculous. Yeah. But they had a sale at some point after I discovered them. And I ended up doing research on their website. Like some of their releases, a fair amount of them, are Region A or multi-region And I bought a bunch of stuff from them, including they had put out, uh, at the time, four Hammer movie box sets that each had four films in them. And they were all Region A. And so then, like, a year later, when they put out the fifth volume, without even thinking about it, I was like, oh, volumes one through four are all Region A, so I'm safe. And I bought it. Showed up at my house. Turns out the fifth box set, out of the blue, Region B only. So Unreal. the fifth box set had has Pirates of Blood River in it. And since I, when I ordered it, I was like, oh, I'm going to have this new copy in a box set so I can get rid of the, uh, the one from Twilight Time. So before I even got the box set, I just packed it up and I, I sent you the Twilight Time one just because ah. I was like, Dax <laughs> likes movies. He'll enjoy this pirate <laughs> film. So yeah, then the box set shows up and turns out, I can't watch Pirates of Blood River from the Indicator box set on my Region A players. And uh, I felt like it would be a shitty thing to do to be like, hey, you know that movie I sent you? Can you send it back to me? Because I can't watch my new copy. So I just went on Twilight Time's website and I bought another copy of the Region A. So I effectively bought it three times and just figured I would hang on to that Hammer Region B box set from indicator just because even though i couldn't watch the movies and then uh middle of last year i built my custom dream movie room in my basement and since i needed a new player for that room specifically i was like well might as well finally bite the bullet and buy a region free player so i can play movies of all regions So now that I can watch that Region B copy of Pirates of Blood River from the box set, I took that second Twilight Time copy that I had, and I gave it to another friend of mine. (laughs) Spectacular. So I've bought it three times and given it away twice. (laughs) Spectacular. (sighs) So. Was this your first viewing of it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That makes it even better. That makes it even better. (laughs) Yeah. Bought it three times over the course of like four years, and I'm just now watching it for the first time. But I did watch the Region B on my Region Free Player, so there you go. I've now justified that purchase too. Did I harangue you about purchasing a Region Free Player, or were you just going to do that anyway? I don't recall. I mean, anytime there's a potential purchase. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Where uh, is even, this going? even peripherally related to something that I'm interested in, you uh-huh. are definitely the little devil on my shoulder. That's not true. That's 100% true. That's not true. Uh, it's absolutely true. I'm sure I've talked you out of buying something before. I would love to hear what example you have in mind. Dead air pause. <laughs> Your favorite like, thing is uh, oh. is 
grinning ear to ear and telling me I need to buy things that I don't actually need. But mm, well, yeah, but you don't need to be uh, coerced that hard. <laughs> Unfortunately, not. But yeah, like you know, I I was gonna get a new player, and I mean Blu-ray players are pretty cheap now to put in the basement. And I mean, I'm sure you put a, a word or two in my ear, but I did eventually just convince myself, you know, if I have to buy a player anyway, I might as well get a region free one. And so I did. You're right. And then as soon as I bought it, all the movies I've been wanting to watch mm. that weren't on region A have started all being released in region A format. So half mm -hmm. the fucking region B movies I bought, uh, I've now rebought in region A. That's Even the, though you could buy them. I mean, you could watch them. No, that's true. Just but um, got to catch them all. See, I, I ain't telling you to do that. That's what I tell you not to do. <laughs> I mean, we don't really have to get into the whole thing, but. Oh, I think we do now. One one prime example is there were a ton of Jackie Chan movies. You know how big a Jackie Chan fan I am. Of course. The biggest. There were a ton of Jackie Chan movies that were have never been available in region a blu-ray so i just haven't been able to own copies of them so as soon as i got that region free player i went on a website uh, i can't remember the name of it right now but they they sell a bunch of uh region b like martial arts movies and stuff uh and i bought probably like 15 <laughs> uh, region B movies, most of them Jackie Chan, some other things as well, including like the story of Ricky. A whole, a whole shelf worth. Yeah. Then, like less than a year later, all of these titles have been getting released in Region A, and Shout Factory just put out two Jackie Chan box sets, <laughs> and in those box sets are a couple movies I didn't already have, so I felt like I need to buy those. But then other mm -hmm. movies in those box sets are ones that I had previously bought Region B, and now I have them in Region A in a box set, so might as well get rid of the Region B ones. Did you? I mean, they're in a pile to get rid of. I don't know what I'm going to oh. do with them because they're Region oh. B, and now that they're available in Region A, who's going to want the Region B ones? <laughs> I'll take them off your hands. What are you going to do with them? <laughs> Maybe I'll get a Region Free player. <laughs> Join the exclusive club. Once you do, I will happily give them to you. <laughs> Consider them yours. You could probably sell them, right? I mean, Maybe? probably. But like the thing but would have don't. been before, you know, people might have gone mm. out of their way to get them because they weren't available here. And now that they are. I got you. In the end, Ryan Miller loves buying movies. <sighs> Just loves spending money, it seems. <laughs> well, after... After all that, I feel like we should dig right in <laughs> to Pirates of Blood River. All right. Uh, from 1962, our first film is The Pirates of Blood River. The Pirates of Blood River. Thunderers of the Caribbean. Gold-crazy brigands who lived by pillage and terror. And only one man stood between them and the gold they sought. Our terms for leaving you unmolested are very simple. There is no treasure. Each day that you remain silent, two of you will hang, starting from now. I'm guessing that the Blood River in the title refers to the river that the piranhas are in. Must be the river we barely see in this pirate movie. Yeah, because there sure ain't any uh, oceans in this nope. film. Nope. 
Uh, <laughs> that's the thing about this movie. You think of pirates, and you typically think of pirate ships on the high seas. There's mm-hmm. there's definitely a lot of like you know stopping on islands and looking for treasure and whatnot. But uh, this movie. Uh, basically, Hammer decided that they wanted to make a pirate movie, but didn't have the budget for a boat. Mm-hmm. And so they said to, I think Michael Carreras said to Jimmy Sangster, hey, can you write us a pirate movie that takes place on land? And he was like, sure. And and that's the Pirates of Blood River. It is a pirate yep. movie that I think takes place in the woods. I think there's one scene in the beginning, like there's a... Um, there's, There's like a, shot a shot of like a pirate ship out on the ocean, but it's um like a matte painting or something. It's like stock footage from something else. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, and then yeah. there's one scene in the beginning that takes place in like uh the pirate captain's like personal quarters on the boat, which, you know, they could just mm-hmm. make a set yeah, somewhere. Yeah, it could have been anywhere. Yep. And then the rest of it is uh yeah. Allegedly on an island, um, actually just filmed like in the wilderness around uh, Bray Studios, I think, in the UK. Yeah, it's straight up in the woods. Yep. And there's a small tributary nearby. I mean, easily you could have like changed the pirates' outfits and just made them like banditos, and this could have been like a cowboy movie instead. Yeah, they definitely looked the part. Yeah. Like they had them decked out. As pirates, for sure. Yeah, I mean, versus building a boat, that's the easy part. <laughs> yeah, but there was a lot of, like, pillaging of villages and running through the forest. Yep, which, again, feels more like a Western to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I want to give particular uh, notice of the previously mentioned piranhas. Mm-hmm. What an effect they pulled to give you an idea that there's piranhas in this river. I would actually love to know. I couldn't figure out exactly how they were doing that. I think it was just like a garden hose. <laughs> yeah. it Like, <laughs> like the rain. only thing I could think of is it looked like maybe they were like spraying water down onto the surface of the, it was actually a I, lake, not a river that they were in. Oh, of course. I think that's exactly what it was. The quote unquote river. Yeah, it looked like maybe they were spraying water droplets to make, like, the water, like, you know... Look like it was busy. Yeah. But, like, I was really looking, and I couldn't see, like, water drops or anything falling. I don't know if it's just, like, the old footage or, like, the, uh, you know, the grainy old film or something, but whatever it was, it was it was pretty, pretty convincing for what they were trying to do. I'm not knocking it. I, I think it was very effective. I mean, they they did it like twice, which could have been the same exact shot the second time. (laughs) But oddly enough, you know, for 1962, I thought that was a low budget, effective way of showing that there be piranhas here. Yeah, because you never see a fish. No. Yeah, you see like the water kind of doing its thing. And um, they'd put like a sound effect in. Uh, which, you know, surely is not even indicative of the actual animal. It's just like in the the Joe Dante, Roger Corman movie, Piranha. Whenever you're underwater and you're seeing the piranhas, there's like this like sound that's just like, we need a noise to associate with the creatures. It doesn't matter there's, if they actually sound like that. Those <laughs> turkeys down there? <laughs> we just need like an auditory cue. And then, yeah, like, a, a character will say like, oh, there's piranhas in the water. And then a character's like screaming and maybe you see some uh, red coloring in the water. And that's, mm-hmm. I mean, it works. 
Yeah, they they dumped a lot of uh I don't know if it was tomato juice or what in the beginning <laughs> of this one, but yeah. Only in one shot though. Mhm. It was weird because like the girl is thrashing around and then they cut away and they cut back and there's like a ton of blood in the water around her and then the next time they cut back to her you don't see any of the blood anymore. Yeah. And um, I, there's not a whole lot of like behind the scenes details I could find about this movie, but one of the things that they did talk about a lot in the uh, the special features on my powerhouse indicator region free Blu-ray or uh, region B Blu-ray that I watched <laughs> was uh, mm-hmm. that the film was originally given an X certificate rating in the UK, which is no one under 16 admitted. But they decided that the film would do better business if it received an A certificate, meaning that people uh, under 16 can see it, but must be accompanied by an adult. That's a mouthful. Yeah. So they decided to make some cuts. But then um, another movie, another like fantasy adventure movie was coming out uh, called Mysterious Island based on a Jules Verne book. And it had like Ray Harryhausen stop motion effects and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they decided that if they went with if they cut it even more down to a U certificate, meaning universal admittance, like basically our version of like a G in the US, that they could pair it with that movie and do a double bill. And so the version that I watched, and I'm assuming the version on the Blu-ray copy you have, uh, mm-hmm. is like the the X certificate version where there you did actually see blood in the water at one point. Oh yeah. Okay. So yeah, that was the original x rating oh but they yeah they cut it down and got rid of like a bunch of blood and and like trimmed some other things made it a universal admittance film paired it with mysterious island and it was a massive hit for them Mm. now it's it's funny to think like can you imagine this movie being like a massive hit with kids (laughs) no (laughs) yeah it's not not, even a little it's not what you expect when you think of a pirate movie but yeah it was a huge double bill uh, made a ton of money for them and uh, was like the influence behind the next couple years. They made like a bunch of other like kind of swashbuckly pirate kind of movies mm. at Hammer. I mean, pirates are hot in the streets finally. Yeah, I guess. I mean, this was the 60s, so mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, can I tell you, I loved your friend and mine, Christopher Lee, as the captain. Yeah, Captain LaRoche. I mean... I don't know how average person, like what they think of Christopher Lee, because man, that guy got an illustrious career. <laughs> I'm sure most people, like a lot of people our age, probably only really know him from like the uh, Lord of the Rings movies. Lord of the Rings and Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, and Star Wars. Because I mean, to be completely honest, until I got into Hammer X number of years ago, mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings and Star Wars were probably the only things, like, maybe I'd cross paths with him in one or two other things, because he has been in a ton of stuff, but... 287 credits. Yeah, he was in a lot. Man. Boy, be working. He's good. He's, you know, he's super tall. He's imposing. He's got that deep Mm -hmm. voice. He was doing a, like, a French accent, which I thought was interesting. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, they don't give you much about uh, history-wise here on those birds. In the movie, do they? Mm, no, they're just they're just random pirates. So, like, I guess we ought to say uh, the premise is basically that um, there's this uh, group of people, the the Huguenots, I think they called them. Yep. And they had like escaped, I guess, 
like uh, the monarchy in Britain and mm-hmm. uh, found this island to move to and call their own. And they're just like a little innocent kind of religious society there. And the son of like the leader of their group is having an affair with another man's wife. And so they sentence him to, was it like 15 years? Yeah, it was a lot. Yeah, they sentenced him to like 15 years. Like uh, some people want him dead, but they, because his father was like the one in charge, he goes a little easy on him. And they sentenced him to like 15 years of hard labor, labor at this penal colony elsewhere on the island. And not long after um, ending up there, he escapes and the pirates just happen upon him. And when he tells them where he's from, the pirates just assume, oh, this group of people must have like some hidden fortune. And so they force him to take them to the like village he's from. Mm-hmm. And even he doesn't think that they have any wealth there. But the pirates are basically like, look, we're going to take over your little colony here and kill a couple of you every day until you tell us where the money is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, for the longest time, I wasn't sure if there was any money or not, but it turns out that Mm -hmm. there's a statue made of gold. A whole entire statue, Milzy. (laughs) That nobody knew about because it was painted. Yep. Painted strict, straight up doo-doo colors. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so that's the movie. It's almost like like a siege film, like, for a little while. Kind of. Yeah, I mean, it's only, I don't know, maybe 92 minutes. Yeah. It's a it's it's a lot of uh you know pirates going this way and that way to ransack then um yeah the villagers fight back yeah the movie it's basically it's it's like broken into three distinct acts it's like all the setup to get the pirates to the the village and yep. then the pirates very quickly take over the village and then they just like hang out in like the the town courthouse mm-hmm like feasting on all the food that the villagers have and holding them hostage and fighting over the women. Have, yes, having a blindfold sword uh, duel. Cutlass battle. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, I can't say I've ever seen that before, but yeah. I dug it. Yeah, it was kind of cool. Good way- something neat and unique. That's a good way to settle uh, a dispute, Mills. I suppose so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I would want to settle a dispute that way, but I'm glad you feel that uh. way. And then when they find the golden statues, again, since it's since it's like a land-based pirate movie, they're like 50 miles from the shore. Mm-hmm. So yep. they have this giant golden statue that they have to trudge across 50 miles of land with to try and get it back to their boat. And meanwhile, a couple of the villagers have escaped and they're kind of like rebels in the forest making booby traps to kill mm-hmm. the pirates as they drag the statue back to their boat. I think once something's 50 miles, Millsy, isn't that just a continent? I'm no science person, but man. <laughs> I mean, it's a long ways. I don't know if it's a continent, <laughs> but I don't know how big this island is supposed to be that they were oh, on. But man. I don't know. But there's only one place they can go, Millsy, and that's right back to the Blood River. Yeah, right back to the Piranha Waters. In the ricketyest... Uh, pontoon <laughs> yeah that's like sinking as oh, four guys on the statue were on it yeah forget it they could just let them just let them go yeah i think they would have they would have succumbed anyways but yeah i mean all in all it's got that hammer style uh even though it doesn't have like the 
rich, gorgeous sets that like their gothic horror films do. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. You know, considering the budget, like you, it being a pirate movie, you expect there to be like ship battles and things like that. But once you get past that, for what it is, it's like a pretty compelling movie. There's a couple of fun little action sequences. There's that sword fight with the blindfolds, like you like you mentioned. And then I liked that final sequence, which I didn't see coming, where it was like, it was kind of like the Ewoks versus the uh, the Empire <laughs> on uh, that planet in um, uh, Return of the Jedi, mm-hmm. where it's like the underdogs are like, you know, throwing like fucking logs at the, yeah. <laughs> at the yeah. AT-ATs and stuff. Totally. It's like these couple of guys like digging pits and putting, uh, you know bamboo spikes in them and fucking knocking down in gigantic <laughs> trees on top of the pirates. Yeah. Bonkers. Yeah. That that sequence was kind of fun. Yeah. I uh, think it was a good time. Um, It's funny because, like, basically I strictly... If I'm watching a movie from the 60s, it's almost like a 99% positive that it's a Hammer movie. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, but it definitely feels that way. Like, it just kind of has that that look, the music, the whole thing. Yeah. Um, I will say, I think, I don't know when proper choreography was introduced into the movies. Uh-huh. But it wasn't 1962, I'll tell you that. Or <laughs> maybe throughout the 60s. Because you can always kind of tell, like, the big scenes or fight scenes. It's really, you know... Could just be the direction of, uh, you know, okay, you two guys uh, run and jump at each other and see what happens. You know, yeah. <laughs> there's never it's like you gotta always tell. It's like not much thought put into like what these these fights actually will look like. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of that. Even like you know, we mentioned westerns and how big those were at one point, and like any like bar brawl scene in a western, yeah. it's just like people breaking chairs over each other's backs. And, totally. It's not but like, like a any, any like punches thrown or anything. Yeah, it's just like I don't yeah. know if that was a seventies, eighties, whatever thing. With will we start getting more of that? But I mean, the the part that was kind of the most ridiculous for me was like at the very end. Uh, you know the the rebels have been picking off the pirates, so there's probably only like eight or ten of them left. And they get to Blood River, and they have to build a little raft to try and get the uh, the golden statue across so they can get it to their ship. And uh, the rebels kind of, like, pin the, the pirates between themselves and the river, and a gun battle ensues, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's like old-timey, like, uh, black powder rifles and muskets and things, so they're having to load the balls and the the gunpowder in between every shot and whatnot. And it's like they're hiding behind like bushes and logs, what looks like 12 feet from one another. It's like, I don't know. It's such a weirdly staged shootout. Like at that point, I'm just thinking to myself, okay, as soon as the the guy across from you fires his gun, you know, it's going to take him a minute to reload it. Just rush him. Yeah, but they just much. keep hiding behind like yeah. shit super low to the ground and and yeah. uh, shooting like at each other. A lot, a lot of them it really it looks like pebbles and a rock or two is hiding an entire body. Yeah, they're like hiding behind things on a flat <laughs> surface totally. with no topography. Hundred percent. Like I said, I, I've been looking forward to this one maybe because I've owned it for so long. 
mm-hmm. and I had like the anticipation. So many of, times. Yeah, I've paid uh, so much for this over the years between the three copies that, uh, mm-hmm. and it being Hammer and knowing like what their production values are normally like, knowing that Christopher Lee was in the movie. Sure. Like I, I had, and you know, it's it's a pirate movie, so I was expecting boats and stuff, and yeah. So I'll admit that I'm a little disappointed that it was all on land. <laughs> It doesn't really feel like a pirate movie. For what it is, I still think that they managed to write like an interesting, entertaining script. Uh, but there is part of me that's just like, this isn't really what I had in mind. I mean, yeah, if, if it wasn't for some choice bits of dialogue and the way they're dressed, you like you said, this could have been a whole different kind of movie. Yeah, uh, this it feels like they just could have made a couple changes to the script, and this could have been a like a western <laughs> because there's like no water. <laughs> you're you're right. There's, I mean, realistically, three shots of water, and two of them, I'm pretty sure, are just the same thing with the with the piranhas, which I like, but yeah. So it's like. It's like I'm I'm a little disappointed, but for all intents and purposes, it was still an entertaining watch. I was just so. gonna say say the same thing, probably for the exact same reasons. Still entertaining. Yeah, I mean, it helps that these guys like they you know they knew what they were doing. They were old hands at this stuff by this point. Uh, I mean, it was written by Jimmy Sangster, who wrote like half the fucking Hammer horror movies that they ever mm-hmm. put out. It was directed mm-hmm. by John Gilling, who was like one of their standard directors, who made a ton of other stuff for them. You know, Christopher Lee, I feel like you just can't go wrong with that guy if he's playing a villain, especially. I'm not super familiar with Kerwin Matthews, who played the lead. He's in The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, mm-hmm. which I've never seen. Uh, the only other movie I know I've seen with him is called Barcaro, and it is a Western with uh, Lee Van Cleef and Warren Oates. I don't remember him in it, like what character he would have played, but... um yeah, I wasn't like super familiar with a lot of other people in it. Um, I, I didn't realize until I was looking up the cast that Desmond Llewellyn is in the movie, um, who is Q from like the first 21 Bond uh, films or whatever. Huh. Okay. Like he was probably on the younger side, considering it was uh, 1962. He played uh-huh. a character named Tom Blackthorn. I, I don't even remember that character in the movie, but, you know, I, and Oliver Reed is in there. Um he had a really small part, though. Like, when I saw his name in the credits, I was like, oh, he's going to be one of the main guys. But he's he's the pirate that loses the blind duel. Yeah, there's. I'm looking on IMDb, and there's just, like, some people are just, like, referred to by one name and a pirate. Yeah. But, like like I said, when, when I saw Oliver Reed, like, enter into that duel with that other pirate, I was like, oh, well, Oliver Reed is Oliver Reed. Obviously, he's going to win. And then he ends up dying. So it's like he's (laughs) not in the movie all that much. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, you know, cast was fine. And it's a competently made movie that, you know, I guess had an unfortunately low budget or low enough that they couldn't afford a boat. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's as we said, I mean, it's, it's got that hammer charm. Yeah. While being just. Honestly, barely a pirate movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A pirate movie in as much as it had pirates in it. Mm-hmm. And they were looting. I mean, that's what pirates do, right? It's true. They sail and they loot. They did one of those two things in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so. you, you nailed it, friend. <laughs> uh, I think that's all I got for this one. You ready to move on? Yeah, I am. I am. All right. Uh, movie number two. 
coming all the way in 1995, is Cutthroat Island. I've treated you cruel, haven't I? You've had a lot on your mind. And you did help me at the prison. The tavern. <laughs> Let's say, between us, just for argument's sake, that you have Mordecai's map. But I don't. No, I know that, but pretend that you do. I was willing to go halves with him and his. I would do the same with you and yours. You're saying that if I show you mine, you'll share yours with me? <laughs> Give me the map. Give me a kiss first. I had seen this before. Go on. Watched it sometime within the last decade. It's just one of those movies where its name is synonymous with being a huge box office bomb. Uh-huh. And I was always curious to see it, just to see if it's, you know, if it deserved to be that much of a bomb. Like it's it's not necessarily a movie that I hear people shit all over. It's I guess it's kind of a similar scenario with like Waterworld, where that movie uh, was like a financial disappointment, even though as we discussed when we talked about that movie on the show, it didn't actually lose like a ton of money. It just wasn't as big of a success as they were hoping for. And for whatever reason, people look back on it, you know, unkindly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was just curious if Cutthroat Island was a similar situation. And I didn't remember a ton about the last time I watched it, but I did remember having the feeling of like, this movie is not that bad. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And... uh yeah, on a rewatch, I honestly still feel that way. How about you? Yeah, I had uh, probably the same thing. I guess it's just inf- infamous as being like a big, I don't know if just a big disappointment or just not great or whatever it was. I mean, I mean, we'll get fully into it. I have the details about this one, but I'll uh-huh. save that for the end. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, I knew Gina Davis was in it. I was like pretty... You know, every time I see the poster, I remember it. But um, that's really kind of all I knew. I don't know, I thought this was a good time. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, we'll get into it history-wise. But as far as, like, what you're given on screen, I mean, minus uh, Jack Sparrow, this is, like, just as big and boisterous as any of those Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Yeah, I mean, they went all in, and I mean, part of the problem ended up being that the they went, like, way over budget and way over schedule, mm-hmm. and, you know, that is a problem yeah. from, like, the behind-the-scenes point of view and, like, the people making the film, but the end result, like, just looking at the movie, like, not thinking about all that other stuff behind the scenes, just watching the movie... I think it's a really fun time, and unlike the Pirates of Blood River, this is what I think of when I think of a pirate movie. Absolutely. I mean, there's a full-on fucking boat battle in the end, like explosions and, like, you know, boarding one another's ships and sword yeah. fights up on the fucking masts and swinging on ropes. And, and it goes on for a while, and they flat-out blow up a pirate ship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do. I mean, it's like... This thing was made at the perfect time. Yes, yeah, seemingly. I mean, the uh, the financiers would disagree with you, but <laughs> yes, I I agree. As a viewer, as a well, f- as like a fan, of I course agree. they would. 
yeah, this, I mean, this movie, there's tons of huge sets. Mm-hmm. Locations. Explosions everywhere. I mean, locations. I mean, this, this movie's, like, pretty wild. I thought, I mean, I don't think it's perfect, and I think it's probably no. kind of boils down to really, like, the casting. Yeah. I don't think Matthew Modine's really, I don't, he doesn't really do much for me. I guess he's fine in things, but I don't think he's leading man material in this. And I don't know. I've seen Gina Davis be so much better in so many other things that I I don't Mm -hmm. know if it was part of me just kept thinking, I was like, is she just off? Cause she's attempting some kind of like a accent at times or something, but I don't even know if I noticed if she was trying to do one. I feel like those two just were kind of uh, the tr- the trouble. I mean, I will agree with you, and I like Gina Davis, but um, I don't know. Like, she did go on to do The Long Kiss Goodnight, which is an action movie. I haven't seen it in a long time, so I don't really remember how she is in it. But I, I just, like, she's... She's obviously giving it her all in this and like personality wise, I enjoy her, but I just don't buy her as like this roughneck pirate character in this movie. I, I don't think she sells that super well. And then, yeah, Matthew Modine, he's an actor that until Stranger Things, I didn't really know who the fuck he was. I mean, he's, he's in Full Metal Jacket, which is like a an ensemble cast again it's been long enough i don't remember him specifically in it he's in any given sunday which is a movie that i didn't like when i finally did see it but again it's like an ensemble cast the only other thing that really jumped out at me when i was looking at his credits was a movie called pacific heights which i like i think he's the male lead in that but i mean the the show is stolen by michael keaton in that movie as like the crazy villain oh which one's that the heights oh pacific, pacific heights, heights. Yeah, it's about like a guy, a couple moves into a house and uh, they have like a crazy neighbor uh, or they move into an apartment in like a house and their neighbor is like this absolute nut job and he's like obsessed with them and like it's like a thriller and it's Mm -hmm. Michael Keaton. But yeah, so like I don't know him from a lot and I think he's fine in this. Like he looks the part and he's kind of charismatic, but he's just... He's not great. And the two of them as the leads, not very good. (laughs) Like, they're just kind of blah. Like, they're not bad, but they're not carrying this enormous pirate movie, you know? A hundred percent. I, like, honestly think if this had two better choices in the those two roles, this is, like, one of the biggest, like, most (laughs) beloved movies of the 90s. Yeah, if it did have like two bigger names, I I really think it could have done better. Um, as it is, I don't understand yeah. how it did as bad as it did. But Gina Davis at the time was known mostly for light comedies, but mm-hmm. because she was uh, in a relationship with Rennie Harlan, he pushed the studio to cast her, mm-hmm. even though she might not have been perfect for the role. Uh, and Michael Douglas had originally agreed to play the Michael. Uh, the Matthew Modine part. Mm-hmm. One of his conditions was that his character had to have equal screen time to Gina Davis's. And then I guess in one of the rewrites, they expanded her role and gave her some of his stuff. So he quit the film. And then Gina Davis wanted to back out when Michael Douglas did, but she was already contractually obligated and had to star. 
And then uh, Rennie Harlan went and tried to get other people to be in the movie. And this is the alleged list of people that turned down the film after Michael Douglas. And it's a big list. (laughs) Hit it. Tom Cruise, Keanu Reeves, Russell Crowe, Liam Neeson, Jeff Bridges, Ray Fiennes, Charlie Sheen, Michael Keaton, Tim Robbins, Daniel Day-Lewis, and Gabriel Byrne. I mean, all of them better than Matthew Modine. Yeah, potentially. <laughs> it's kind of a bummer. I got to be honest. Like, I, at so many points during this movie, it's it's too long at, like, two hours and four minutes just because I think that might just be my blanket statement for movies as I get older anyways. But it's too bad because there's just, like, so much good stuff in this, and I really think it's, like, dragged down by those two. Yeah, because, like, you know, Frank Langella is pretty fun as the villain, uh, Dog yeah. Brown. I like him. Big dog. Big dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's got a decent supporting cast, like um, uh, Stan Shaw, who we previously saw as, like, the uh, the tunnel cop in Daylight. He's your, mm. unfortunately, token black guy mm-hmm. <laughs> in the, in the, uh, the crew. Mm-hmm. I don't really know the guy that well. I've seen him in a bunch of stuff, but Rex Lynn, who played the dude with all the face tattoos, he's, like, a memorable character in this. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, just, I really think that the two people who take up most of the screen time just weren't necessarily the right, the right ones for the gig. It's not lacking in the action. Yeah, no, absolutely not. I don't feel like I ever have like a, a like a frame of reference to be like, yeah, like the, the stars are what really did this one in, but... So much of it is as exciting and big action, and the storyline's fine. It feels just like a very this is a hundred percent a pirate story. I don't know if it's just like you know even even before this movie, I feel like pirates weren't really in in the nineties, uh, right? Like if that had something to do with it, or uh, again, we'll talk about it more in depth in a moment. But like Carol Co Pictures was struggling at the time, and maybe the movie didn't get the advertising it it needed or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just like the stars didn't align for this movie, and it feels like it very they very easily could have because I think the product is good. It's just I don't know, it got ignored or oh, yeah, it was missing star power or something. Yeah, um, I just wanted to point out like some of the things with the I don't I'm curious if this is in your notes or anything about uh, some of the stunts because there's this one stunt that like i think i know the one you're gonna mention i don't know how they is it is Gina davis like rolling out of the window and off yeah. the roof onto the okay because mm-hmm. i like caught that and i was like god damn that looks just like her did she really do that it was her but it was a composite of two shots uh, okay because it, lo- it looks good i'll agree it's like this crazy scene where she's like fighting some people on top of like a stagecoach that matthew modine is driving and um, like as it as the stagecoach goes like under this like uh, this overhang of this building, she like jumps off the top of it and into this window, and she's like running through these rooms above the stagecoach. And then when she gets to the end, she like tumbles out a window, rolls down like an awning. And lands in the front seat of the uh, the stagecoach carriage thing as it drives underneath of her. And it looks amazing. Because <laughs> I thought the same thing. Like, what 
how did they work out the timing on this? Yeah. But I did read that that was two shots composited together. One of her like rolling out the window and then the other one of her like in the seat already, but pretending to land. And they somehow put them together in 1995. Well, yeah. It's wild. Because I don't even know what compositing means in this case because it, it's shot from like down the street. So you're head on watching yeah. like the, the stagecoach is coming at you. She's coming at you through the window. The whole The whole thing. It looked phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of like blown away, but I was like, I didn't want to look it up because I just had a feeling you it was going to pop up. Yeah. There were a lot of like physical, practical on set stunts and things. And apparently Rennie Harlan likes his actors to do as much of that stuff as they can themselves. So Gina Davis did like a bunch of her own stunts and like that was actually her doing it. It just was like two different shots instead of one. Okay. Well, still cool. Yeah, but just like, you know, people swinging on boats with, like, fire in the background and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Like, the movie looks really good, and yeah. I I can't help but keep comparing it, even because of, like, the fact that they both take place on boats and stuff, but it's, like, very similar to Waterworld in my mind in that respect, that, like, very practical movies that I enjoy that have, like, big effects and stuff, and mm-hmm. they just both, for whatever reason, have this... uh like stink of failure on them, which I don't think they deserved. I mean, very undeserved in Waterworld's case, and a little bit here too. So all in all, I feel like uh, you know a solid good time that uh, probably has a far worse reputation than it deserves. Yeah, this is one of those things where I I would wonder. I'm sure most people either never saw this and have just stayed away because of the bad word of mouth or you know misjudged it i would i would like to think but i'd be curious what people would think if they gave this another chance now Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not that i think anybody's you know rushing to do so unless they have a podcast where they have to watch three movies and uh, compare them like some people i wish like because this is on is it prime or was it hbo uh this was on prime i'm pretty sure love it if they just put like analytics for these things like how who's what how many people watched even just how many people watched this in the last month yeah probably not many would be my guess you never know but But, uh yeah so this movie had a legendarily tumultuous filming process hit it including numerous shooting delays and Crazy budget inflations. It was originally budgeted by Carol Co. Pictures at $60 million. Okay. The budget for the movie ended up being between 92 and $115 million. Jeez. 30 plus percent more? That's, oh no, 50%. It's, yeah, it's a lot. It's close to 50%. So after Michael Douglas quit... Rennie Harlan was so preoccupied trying to recast him that numerous sets were built without his input, and after he saw them, he didn't like them and insisted that many of them be rebuilt, which uh, inflated the budget quite a bit. That's trouble. (laughs) Uh, Rennie Harlan fired the camera operator after a dispute, and over two dozen crew members quit in solidarity. Also a problem. (laughs) Broken pipes caused sewage to pour into a water tank where actors were intended to swim, so they had to drain that thing and start over again. The hits keep coming. 
Uh, one week into filming, the cinematographer fell off of a crane and broke his leg and had to be replaced. Jeez, this is turning bad fast. <laughs> Rennie Harlan apparently insisted on running three cameras for coverage for almost every single shot. Sounds expensive. This was shot on film, which resulted in yards upon yards upon yards of wasted film. Normally, multiple cameras are used for, like, big action moments or explosions, things that you preferably only want to do once, but you want to get multiple angles of. But he was filming apparently everything with three cameras, uh, which just seems, like, completely pointless, but... And then I read this in a couple different places. Apparently, this story came straight from Matthew Modine's mouth. Uh, Apparently, Rennie Harlan and Gina Davis, who, again, were a couple at the time, were really into V8 juice. And so they had untold numbers of crates of V8 juice shipped to Malta, where the sets were. And according to Matthew Modine, at the end of filming, an entire room full of unconsumed V8 juice was found. And so they just gave it to the crew. What in the world? But just another pointless expenditure. Jeez. Rennie Harlan spent $1 million of his own money on script rewrites because Carol Coe was so far in debt that they couldn't afford it. All right. Uh, so Carol Coe Pictures, who gave us stuff like um, uh, Terminator 2 and Total Recall, among mm-hmm. many mm-hmm. others. Oh, yeah. Classics. The first three Rambos, I think. Uh, they were deeply in debt. When the film went into production and like I said, originally budgeted the movie to be $60 million and they pinned all their hopes for the survival of the company on its success. Yikes. To fund it, they canceled their only other production, the Paul Verhoeven, Arnold Schwarzenegger film Crusade. Oh, come on. Which probably would have been the smarter bet to go with that one. But I think the projected budget for that movie was like a hundred million. And so since this one was supposed to be 40 million less they went with mm, this jeez but i really feel like schwarzenegger would have been the better bet at the time milzy how in any facet of life how the hell do you burn 40 million extra dollars on something <laughs> v8 juice <laughs> and so when they scrapped crusade they had already spent 13 million dollars on it uh like for pre-production and whatnot and scripts so they just lost all that money flat out are you familiar with whatever that movie is? I I don't know too many specifics, but because, you know, I'm into unmade movies and things like that and like listening to the Best Movies Never Made podcast, I've heard it name dropped numerous times. But like I really feel like that podcast needs to do an episode about it or something cuz I do want to know more. But mm-hmm. apparently it was going to be like a huge like action like dudes on horseback battling kind oh, of movie. Okay. Okay. And at the time, Paul Verhoeven was hot shit. You know, it was mid-90s, so uh, Basic Instinct had already come out and been a huge hit in addition to, you know, past successes like RoboCop so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Total Recall, which him and Arnold had just made for Carol Coe as well. In order to make some money to try and stay afloat, they also sold uh, $20 million in interest in the movies Showgirls, The Last of the Dogmen, and Stargate. Basically meaning that they, uh, you know, they they sold shares of that movie to other studios. So, like, they were going to make less or no money on their releases, but they got money from the other studios, like, in the short term. Oh, okay. 
That's an interesting angle. Yeah, I mean, they were doing everything they could to stay afloat and just in hopes that this movie would come out and be a success and save them. And then Carol Co. ended up filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy six weeks before the release of Cutthroat Island. God damn. The film debuted at number 13 at the box office. Stop. There were 12 other movies that beat it at the box office its opening weekend. Wait, were they just not marketing it either? I mean, that must have been part of it because they were already so in debt that, like, where was the money going to come from to market the film, you know? Mm-hmm. That's got to be part of it. Jeez, that's brutal. And the failure of the film doomed the studio, and it was the final movie they ever released. Oh. So, yeah, $92 to $115 million budget, box office, $10 million. I mean, shit. And it is listed in the Guinness Book of World Records as the biggest box office bomb of all time. Did Rennie Harlan ever work again? Um, yeah, he actually made The Long Kiss Goodnight, which I previously mentioned, with oh. Gina Davis, like, not long mm-hmm. after this, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was a Shane Black script, if I'm not mistaken. Damn. I think Shane Black did Lethal Weapon, Last Boy Scout, and The Long Kiss Goodnight before, like, disappearing from Hollywood for, like, a decade. Mm-hmm. And he was like okay. super hot shit at the time because I think Lethal Weapon was like a $1 million spec script or something. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, Rennie Harlan has done other things here and there. Like his stuff has gotten less and less high profile over the years. But I mean, he, before this, he did A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, Die Hard 2, Cliffhanger. After this, he did The Long Kiss Goodnight, Deep Blue Sea, which we talked about before. <laughs> Oh, yeah. He directed the John Cena movie 12 Rounds. Ooh. And the most recent thing that was of any interest to me, I haven't seen it, but uh, is a Johnny Knoxville, Jackie Chan movie called Skip Trace. (laughs) Great movie. Have you seen it? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. (laughs) But uh, yeah, he's still out there. Like, you know, he's got other movies that he's made, but it's all kind of like. Stuff that's not getting theatrical releases and whatnot. Yeah, sounds like a rough, rough go there. Yeah. So, I don't know. Even without, like, a ton of marketing, you'd think, like, a big pirate adventure, like... Crack the top ten? Family-friendly movie released around Christmas time would have done better than 10 million. I I don't know. I don't know what goes into these things, but this movie just got ignored by people. Yeah. And now it's infamous. Now it is infamous, but, you know, I don't love it as much as I love Waterworld, but in the same Same. vein, I think that this movie deserves so much better than what it got. Here, here, friend. A high five to that. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Worth uh, worth a look if you've never seen it or haven't seen it in a long time, I think. If you want some just, like, flat-out action, go for it. Yeah, I mean, it is, like, a, just a... It's a lot of fun. Uh, you're right. It probably could be a little bit shorter, but it's not even like, it's not as long as a lot of movies are these days. Of course. Of course. But. Yeah. Could it have been like an hour 50 instead of 205 or whatever? Probably, but. Sure. It's not like it's boring or anything. No. Yeah. No. For sure not. Movie number three. Please. All right. Uh, coming one year later, in 1996, we have Muppet Treasure Island. When I was just a lad, looking for my true vocation, 
My father said, now son, this choice deserves deliberation. Though you could be a doctor, or perhaps a financier. My boy, why not consider a more challenging career? Hey, ho, ho, you'll cruise the forest shores. <laughs> See you, lad. Your mind Show him he's practicing. Out of doors. True friendship and adventure are what we can't live without. And when you're a professional pirate, that's what the job's about. Upstage, lads. This is my only number. Now take Sir Francis Drake. The Spanish all despise him, but to the British he's a hero and they idolize him. It's how you look at buccaneers that makes them bad or good, and I see us as members of a noble brotherhood. Huh. Hey ho ho! Oh, I love it! Tis poetry in motion. be someone you have to execute. And when you're a professional pirate, you don't have to wear a suit. I didn't know what to expect. <laughs> yeah. I really didn't. Whether or not I had seen it before, I, I had a pretty good idea of what to expect. I feel mm. like it it met my expectations as someone who, you know, saying that I tolerate the Muppets sounds even too harsh. But... <laughs> Like, I'm not, like, the biggest fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, um, I'll say it opens with an absolute banger of a song, which uh, kind of perked me up kind of right away. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if these movies are, like, musicals or what they would end up being, so... Yeah, I don't know if they're classically mu- musicals, you know, even outside of the Muppets. I know like Henson stuff like uh, Labyrinth had musical numbers in it. Mm-hmm. But right. then was was Dark Crystal? That was Henson also, right? That didn't have any musical numbers, did it? No. Yes. Yes, it was him. No, no musical numbers that I remember. Yeah. It's been long enough since I've seen any of the uh, Muppet movies that I can't recall if they're all musicals or not, but... Yeah, this one, you know, what, like four or five songs throughout? Yeah, probably f- five. I remember really liking the um, the Tim Curry song. I thought that mm-hmm. one was really good. I mean, that guy sure can play a good villain, can he? <laughs> yeah, he's just a lot of fun. He's he's good in stuff like this or uh, yeah. like Home Alone 2. Like, mm-hmm. he's good at hamming it up. Hamming it up with that just that face of his. Yeah, and a good voice for these mm-hmm. kind of, like... Mm-hmm. bad guy roles totally i also thought I, there's like a song uh when miss piggy is introduced and i thought that song was pretty good too yeah those ones stand out to me i don't i enjoyed this i thought it was like good kind of fun time for what it was i don't think i mean for me i i don't see myself like ever wanting to watch just like you know muppets going about their day but because it's like you know matched up with pirates and got the mm-hmm. whole you know, that nautical vibe I like so much that uh, I did find myself, uh, you know, enjoying it. I thought this one was also too long, but for a Muppet movie, I think it clocked at hour 45 or maybe yeah, even more. I I didn't recall how long it was, but I would agree that um, more so than like Cutthroat Island, this one, there were parts where it felt like it was dragging a little for yeah. me. It probably could have been 90 minutes. Mm-hmm, for sure. 
Because, you know, it's like, yes, there is like this pirate like treasure story or whatever happening, but it's also like it doesn't have the um, like the tone and like any sense of urgency because it's like a lighthearted comedy where they just like stop for goofy jokes for stretches. So I don't yep. know, after a while, it's like, all right, we could wrap this up. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed this one as well. Uh, you know, there there is fun stuff with the Muppets themselves. There were some funny bits. There were some songs that I liked there. You know, Tim Curry was a lot of fun, like we mentioned. I mean, they had to make everything because seemingly every set and every costume and the Muppets themselves. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of practical action going on here. Once again, unlike the Pirates of Blood River, there was a boat. <laughs> there was. There was a boat. You know what this movie's missing hmm. that the other two movies had? What's that? Someone throwing a sword into someone else's chest. <laughs> I mean, swords do get thrown. But, but not into someone's chest. Yeah, the other two movies, the main bad guy gets dispatched with a a thrown pirate sword, and I. That's a good point. Could have only hoped that that would have been in this because it would have been amazing. In but, this one, the bad guy just uh, is set adrift mm-hmm. with with the treasure. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, but a boy could dream, Milsey. I mean, I'll tell you what the other two could have used that this one had was someone using starfish like uh, shurikens. That's true, too. (laughs) I did text you while watching this because I was like enamored with some of these Muppets, especially like the werewolf looking one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not super well versed in the Muppets, but that is not one that I recall ever having seen before. Mm -hmm. That That might just be like a stock background Muppet. How about that uh, bird guy? The blue? Yeah. Uh, Sam the Eagle? Yeah, he's a classic Muppet character. Oh, yeah, he's pretty good, too. Uh, he's actually one of the ones that I I never would have necessarily thought of this uh, in my youth, especially, but a lot of the individual Muppets, like, obviously there's certain people who do their voices, but they are those ones are also puppeteered by specific people, usually, and... Sam the Eagle is a Frank Oz character. Oh, okay. In addition, in this movie, um, Fozzie Bear and Miss Piggy are Frank Oz characters, and he was actually unable to puppeteer any of them because he was busy directing the movie Bowfinger. (laughs) Oh? Yep. Okay. Uh, Which, you know, if he had to miss out on this movie to make Bowfinger, that's fine with me because I love that film. Oh, is that a good one? That movie is great. I'm sure I've told you how great it is uh, many times in the you past. Have, but you of all the kind of random cuts Millsy will have, I know Bowfinger is one of them. That's one of those ones I don't even remember how or why I first saw it, but boy, I love that movie. <laughs> That's a uh, Steve Martin, Steve Eddie Murphy. Martin. Yeah, I I only knew Steve Martin was in. I don't know anything about it. Yeah, you need to see that movie. Okay, Chubby Rain, baby, Chubby Rain. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> so Kevin Clash, the guy who later became known for doing Elmo, uh, puppeteered those characters since Frank Oz couldn't be there. And then he uh, dubbed their voices later. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, it's one of the things. So again, not super well versed in Muppets. I potentially have seen many of the Muppet movies when I was a kid, but not in a long time. In the past, there was the Muppet movie. Uh, then there was the Great Muppet Caper. I'm not 100% sure what that one's about. Murder. But 
Later on came the Muppet Christmas Carol in like the mid nineties. And that one was a huge hit. That was the first Muppet movie that was um, produced or distributed or something by Disney. And then based on the success of that, they like fast tracked another movie. And because the previous one was based on like classic literature, they decided to do it again with Muppet Treasure Island. So this was the second one produced or distributed by Disney. And then I don't know if this one, I guess it didn't do super well. This had a budget of 31 million and made 34.3 in North America. I couldn't find worldwide for this one, but um, they didn't make another one until like 1999. They released Muppets in space. I was going to say, this sounds pretty rough to only make 3 million bucks. Yeah. I'm I'm guessing that the previous one, Christmas Carol, must have done like way better, but I didn't think to look that up. Mm-hmm. But um, directed by Brian Henson, son of Jim Henson, who also did The Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, okay. Okay. And uh, yeah, based on Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson. Like I said earlier, I've never read any uh, classic pirate literature. So I know Same. Treasure Island is like a classic that like a lot of people read in school. And what I have found over the years is that apparently the schools I went to, they just never made us read anything. Oh, Like, uh, I think we read Tom Sawyer and that's like the only like classic novel that you typically associate with reading when you're in school that I ever had to read that I can think Mm. of. Interesting. We read like Romeo and Juliet, but. Oh yeah. Been there. Yeah. So I I honestly don't know how close this is to the source material. I mean, it feels like it besides like the obvious jokes, but they seem like they're really holding to like some of the characters and the whole thing. Yeah. So maybe, but yeah. So I was a little surprised because um, Kermit is obviously like the Muppet, um, and he has kind of a small role in this, and he doesn't show up until like thirty-four minutes in or something. I read totally. Yep. And then Miss Piggy also, she's like another one of the main Muppets. She's not in it until over an hour into the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her like actual time on screen got to be pretty low. Yeah. So Gonzo and the rat Rizzo, (laughs) Mm -hmm. they're like the two that are kind of in it the most. And I guess, again, I I read this, I've not seen the movie, or if I have, it has been a long time. I guess they were like the two mainly featured Muppets in Muppet Christmas Carol as well. So they decided to like try and bring that magic back again. Gotcha. But apparently the, the main character, the like the young kid in this, uh, Jim Hawkins is the character's name. Uh-huh. He was originally, so originally the main characters in the movie were supposed to be Gonzo and Rizzo and they were going to play characters named Jim and Hawkins. But like before production, I don't know if it was Disney or someone was like, uh, we feel like we need like an actual main character that people will care about instead of like these two goofballs. So they wrote the kid role into the movie like really? kind of late in the game and named him Jim Hawkins. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's kind of interesting that those kind of things are always kind of weird to me. It's like these late stage, you know, ideas. It feels like something where like, you know, the Muppet guys wrote the movie and then it took someone with like an outside perspective to be like, mm, you probably need a main character. People give a shit about. Yeah, totally. But uh, yeah, then that the kid, Kevin Bishop, this was like his first role, I think. And He's still out there working, but, like, never did anything else of note that I could see. Mm. Yeah, I, he didn't look familiar to me at all. Yeah. Uh, Billy Connolly plays, a, like, a 
ex-pirate character in the beginning. The Duke. Yeah. <laughs> and he, uh, I read a quote from him where he said that he's proud to be the first person ever to die in a Muppet movie. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was kind of funny. Oh, that's good. I really wish Gonzo threw a sword through somebody. <laughs> I do. I Well, you want the Muppets to go dark. Well, I don't know. It just seems like that's the pirate life, Mills, but... <clears throat> Chuck and Swords. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie opened third behind Broken Arrow and Happy Gilmore. I just thought it was kind of interesting. Ooh, that's a tough week. Those yeah. are some good movies. <laughs> and uh, Hormel Foods Corporation sued Jim Henson Productions for naming one of their pig characters on the island Spam. <laughs> <laughs> but the judge dismissed the suit after they failed to prove damages. So, like, they were pissed that they used the name, but, like, I guess in order for them to be able to successfully sue, they would have needed to prove that it was a detriment to their business in some way. And I wish I had written down the quote, but the judge actually had a line about, like, I would think that you guys would be, like, happy to be associated with a popular thing like the Muppets. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Like, that's not a bad thing. Right. It probably made them money, but they were still trying to catch some uh catch a judgment mills yeah <laughs> can't, can't be trusting these companies yeah well that was kind of funny that's pretty good and uh this is i just thought this was kind of interesting so the movie had three writers uh one of them is like a guy named jerry jewel who's written like a bunch of the muppet stuff uh another one is named kirk thatcher and he really hasn't written anything else of interest mm-hmm. uh the third writer is named james v hart and he wrote Hook, which I already mentioned on the show a couple times. Uh, he wrote Bram Stoker's Dracula, which we talked about a while ago. He also wrote Contact, Tomb Raider, The Cradle of Life, which I think was the second Angelina Jolie Tomb Raider movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's interesting that he already wrote Bram Stoker's Dracula because he is the writer of the upcoming Last Voyage of the Demeter, oh. which you and I are both very excited to see. Cannot wait. From the uh, the director of uh, Troll Hunter, I think. Yeah, boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Andre Overdahl. Yeah. So, Very excited for that one. Yeah, apparently James V. Hart, big uh, Dracula fan. Okay. All right. But yeah, all in all, um, so as someone who's not a big Muppet guy, like, did this... Are you any more interested in seeing more Muppet stuff? Was this just like a passive experience for you? Uh, I think... It's it's probably like a interesting kind of idea that like I enjoyed this and had a really good time, but have like almost no interest in watching more Muppets. <laughs> Just yeah, you know, if like this is like kind of singular Muppet experience. Like I really liked this it. It fun. Like the music was good. I thought like. Muppets in character. I just like found myself like smiling and laughing at Tim Curry. It was great. Like you know, it's just it, and of course like so many things. Just the on-screen practical magic mm-hmm. just uh, brought brought a lot of joy. So I did think it was a good time, but yeah, I, I don't know if I just want to see them, you know, the big Muppet movie, like where they're just doing their thing or, yeah, you know. I, I'm, this you know, feels like lightning in a bottle, maybe, for me. Oh. Uh, you know me, I, uh, I love to get, like, sidetracked on you know, marathons and lists and whatnot. Uh, I'm not saying that I'm like rushing out to watch more Muppets, but I would be curious now as an adult to watch 
the other Muppet movies I mentioned, um, Muppet Movie, Great Muppet Caper, Christmas Carol, and From Space, because that feels like kind of the classic Muppet film era. I'll tell you what I have no interest in at all is the two that got made like within the last 10, 15 years. Which are? I, I don't remember what they're called, but um, so there was that movie. Okay, so I'm going to, I didn't plan to talk about any of this, so I Here didn't write any of this down. Mm-hmm. But um, there's that movie, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Have you yes. seen that movie? Oh, of course. What's the main guy's name in that? Jason Siegel. Jason Siegel. So in that movie, which I don't believe I've seen, <laughs> apparently he like makes a, w- within the movie, his character makes a puppet show version of Dracula or something. He does. And because of that, the people behind the Muppets were like, oh, man, you should revive the Muppets for us. Oh. And because that movie was popular, everybody on the internet internet was like, yeah, that's the thing. Do it. So they did it. And they made a modern Muppet movie like a decade ago or something. I don't remember what it was called, but from what I recall, I've never seen it. Uh, Jason Siegel is in it, um, like as one of the human characters. And there's like a new Muppet that they created who's just like a normal looking Muppet guy. And I don't really know the plot of the movie, but I was never interested in it. But there are a lot of people who are Muppet fans who are nostalgic for Muppets. And that movie was like, I remember it being huge at the time. And then based on the popularity of that, like a couple years later, they made a sequel, which I feel like nobody paid attention to or saw. And that was kind of the end of the revival of the Muppets. Okay. But like those being like modern, like Jason Siegel created, like I have no interest in those. (laughs) Like for whatever reason, I feel like I'm just turning my nose up at those movies. Just for my uh, love of Christmas, I feel like I should give like the Muppet Christmas Carol a try. Yeah, and that's apparently the one that was, like, a huge deal. Like, people loved that one. But, yeah, I think that that could probably be the most of how far I'll venture, but it's yeah. worth. Uh, it's always worth adding another uh, Christmas movie to the repertoire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like the Muppets are always around, and it seems like every however many years there's, like, a new TV show or whatever, and people are excited, but then it lasts one season and goes away, and it's yeah. like everybody wants – the Muppets to be this like mainstream thing that's like for adults and not just like Sesame street Muppet baby style stuff for kids. Mm -hmm. But then as soon as someone tries to produce it, people like actually don't care that much. Yeah. And that dies on the vine. Yeah. Pretty much every time. Mm. But yeah, I'm not one of those people out there like craving a ton more Muppets, but um, you know, in as much as I'm interested in a lot of movies from the 80s and 90s anyway, I'd be yeah. curious to watch a couple more of these. At least I know they got at least one good movie. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So, all right. With that said, um, shall we move posters. on and talk about some posters? Please. Uh, I feel like it's kind of an embarrassment of riches this time around. Never would have guessed we'd have such... Heaters in one episode for <laughs> fucking pirate movies. Two of the three of these are Drew Struzan posters. I mean, amazing. I mean, just as sad as Gonzo didn't murder anyone, I'm sad that we didn't get a Drew Struzan Pirates of Blood River. <laughs> I don't poster. think he was painting posters for movies no. back in 1962. It's too bad. Too I don't bad know how for old us. the man is, but I mean, as it is, you know, this is 
pretty remedial compared to the Cutthroat Island and Treasure Muppet Treasure Island posters, uh-huh. but I mean, this is like an old school Hammer movie poster painting. Sure. I ain't gonna hate on it. No, same here. I think it's a good time. Yeah, it's more exciting than the movie as far as you know tying in the the actual pirate uh, angle. <laughs> At least they're on a beach here. There's a boat. <laughs> That's true. I do feel like they are uh, mis-selling the movie a little bit right there on the poster. Uh, the big shame for me is that that pirate in the foreground is not based on, um, P- uh, yeah, Peter Cushing, mm. Christopher Lee. That's a good point, too. Yeah, I wish that pirate was based on Christopher Lee. Like, the the guy that's, like, down, a, like, kind of small above the title that's, like, tied up with his shirt off, I'm assuming is supposed to be Kerwin Matthews, the lead. Right. But, like, nobody else on the poster, to me, is, like, recognizable as an actual character in the movie, as though someone was just like, yeah, here's a basic synopsis of the movie. Paint a poster for it. Yeah. I think it's just, like, get some bedlam in there with a something to grab your eye in the middle. Yeah. But, but it works. Yeah, the painting's pretty good. I like the logo with the skulls as the O's and blood down there. I do, too, actually. Just the white... The white uh frame of the whole thing looks makes all those colors pop too yeah white border is not bad it's not like overflowing with uh text and stuff it's got a couple of big names down the bottom mm-hmm. the tagline does feel like they were just like uh fill as much of the space in the sky as yeah. possible with right. this sentence yeah like we changed where we were gonna put the logo so now you gotta fill that spot yeah so like ransacking a lost tropical island for a fabulous idol of gold i feel like you're also giving away like one of the secrets of the movie there totally (laughs) i'm glad i didn't read that before watching the movie yeah you could have left that off and it would have been fine there probably would have been like a odd empty space in the sky there but Mm -hmm. even just the font of the tagline is pretty boring yeah i'm with you but for all intents and purposes it's a nice old hammer painting yeah i mean hammer's got they got they they got some good posters. Mm-hmm. It's fun movie magic. Yeah, Cutthroat Island. I mean, pfft. I mean it's fucking spectacular. It's a Drusters and fucking I mean, montage movie poster. There's not even one bad uh, tagline versus two that we usually have to worry about. It doesn't need it. Yeah, I mean this kind of got all the bases covered and it looks great. Do his posters ever really have? I guess the thing has man. Does does the thing poster have man is the warmest place to hide on it? I don't think it does, but I could be wrong. Like, do his posters ever have taglines? It'd be great if, like, in his contract, he had like a no taglines clause. That would be spectacular. <laughs> I love that we just got two of his tonight, but yeah, the likenesses, of course, are spot on. Yeah, the the framing is great. That flag. Up top, it just everything draws your eye. Yeah, it's just so like yellow and orange. Mm-hmm. It's got a great color scheme. That huge fire in the middle and the two boats oh, yeah. battling at the bottom. The fact that the whole like it's it's the top is like uh shaped like a flag, like the borders of the poster. And yep. then as it fades down to the bottom, it's shaped like uh a like map. a tattered old map. Like, yeah. That's great design. You just pour over this. Look, just zoom in on both of the main characters, their hair, and how good that looks. <laughs> yeah. It's just, uh, God almighty, just one of the best artists ever have lived. I don't care. Yeah. And this is like pre-computers, and he just nails these likenesses. 
just blows my mind. Yeah, I would love to see this full size. Uh, has there ever been? There has to have been like a, uh, like a, a touring like gallery show of his paintings or something, right? Like, I would love know, to to go see that if such a thing existed. I don't know if I've ever seen such a thing. I told you, like within the time of our friendship, he still had the thing original for sale on his website. For sale? Yeah, it's not anymore, but there was a time. Wow, I know. Yeah, I would love. It never really occurred to me that like maybe he doesn't own a lot of these, but yeah, I would love to see like to go see some of these things in full size in person. Yeah. That'd oh, totally. Amazing. We should look into that. Great logo even in the center. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. Just all around just uh, spectacular. Not a bad thing to say about it. No, there really isn't. And then another Drew Struzan banger, Muppet yeah. Treasure Island. I mean, this one looks like could have taken him a couple months to finish. This <laughs> There's one's... a lot of characters on this. Mm-hmm. But even so, it doesn't really feel busy. No, it's not like your normal lousy Photoshop job. It's just it, it feels it has purpose. Everything looks great. Yeah, I think he I think I read that he painted all of the Muppet posters up through this one, and this was the last one he did. Oh, really? Now, like I was saying, I think after this, there was one more in 1999, Muppets in Space, and then they didn't really make any others until the Jason Siegel ones. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I I know I've seen a couple of his before in, like, the Drew Struzan books that I have. Yeah. That Tim Curry is great up there with that smile. Oh, yeah. He did the same kind of thing where there's, like, the tattered edges of a map around this one. Yep. That great Goonies-style pile of gold and all oh, at the bottom. Oh, yeah, it's so good. I'm just looking at that now. Just a friggin' master. He makes, like, people and things like the Muppets look better than they even do in real life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, somehow you're right. Mm-hmm. No, it's fantastic. But... Great, another great uh, logo. Mm-hmm. No tagline. Nope, just all... High fastball. So good. Yep. Millsy baby, break it down for the people. <sighs> all right. Uh, I feel like this one's like graded on a curve because while I like all three of these, Pirates of Blood River is definitely not quite in the same ballpark as the Drew mm-hmm. Struzans. Mm-hmm. So I feel like in another episode, I could give Pirates of Blood River like I could jump that one up because of other bad posters it's compared to. We're here. I'm I'm dropping it down a little bit. But it's going to be a three, okay. a three for me. Like if if the likeness was uh, Christopher Lee, I feel like that would immediately <laughs> make it even yeah. better for me. But it's still like a nice, fun poster that makes you want to see the movie. Very makes Mills-y you expect to see a, a boat in the movie, <laughs> which totally. you inevitably won't see. Absolutely. But it's going to be um, it's going to be three piranhas. Oh, okay, I like it. Three piranhas for me. Uh, Cutthroat Island, this is a fucking five banger. All day. There's just nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Nothing else need be said about no, it. No notes. Muppet Treasure Island, also a five. Incredible poster. I will give this caveat that if I am choosing between the two, uh, I think that I like Cutthroat Island a little more because of that unifying color scheme. Same. Muppet Treasure Island at a glance, it's there's a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. Like, the more you stare at it, the more amazing it is. But that Cutthroat Island one is just fucking perfect. I mean, he masterfully handles 
50 different elements in the treasure Muppet Treasure Island poster. Yep. But honestly, the Cutthroat Island poster is perfect. Yep. I mean, one of the problems with pulling off what he did on the Cutthroat Island one with the Muppets is probably the fact that the Muppets are all like different colors. Right. So like, whereas everybody has like skin tone uh, or, you know, a, a kind of skin tone and you can like have that yellow glow off of everybody, you know, Kermit's got to be bright green and Gonzo's got to be bright blue and Fozzie mm-hmm. has to be bright orange. <laughs> yep. But I mean, it's still a fucking great poster. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, for the sake of my bit, I guess uh, Cutthroat uh-huh. Island is going to get um, <laughs> five, five uh, scalps with maps mm, tattooed on them. <laughs> slow clap. Yes. Ah, oh, that was nuts to me. I didn't remember yeah. that at the beginning. Yeah, where she, yeah I just same. She scalped her dad to get yeah, a Yeah, fucking her dad's dying and he's like, shave my head. And she's like, what? And he's like, for once in your life, do what I tell you. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? I was seriously thinking like, is she supposed to like wear his hair to like pretend to be him and escape or something? And then when you see that the whole movie, she's running around with her dad's fucking scalp. Cause she's it is like a map. A clammy like, Lord. scalp. She's like pulling out of her pocket every 12 minutes. <laughs> so crazy. Uh, and then Muppet Treasure Island is going to get uh, five throwing star starfish. Perfect. Spectacular. Yeah. Well, Mills. Mm-hmm. It's about that time. Yeah. I think I know where I'm at. Oh? Yeah. Uh, carry on, friend. All right. Uh, I am going to go ahead, come right out and say that, uh, you know, the... Word of mouth and the box office returns be damned. Cutthroat Island is going to be my buy for this one. Holla. It's just, I mean, it's not the best thing ever, but it's a fucking really solid movie. Like, it is what it tries to be. It is so good. Like, Mm Mm-hmm. The the only real detriment is that the two stars could be better, but they're not even bad. Yeah, I feel like even maybe I, like, sounded like I was like, kind of on their case a little more than necessary because not they they weren't bad you could just see how like a top tier actors could do better but they weren't bad yeah besides gina davis's like weird inflection or whatever with her voice once in a while but <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. so okay. yeah okay. that's my buy um coming down to the other two i feel like my go-to Similar with the poster would normally be to, you know, lean on Hammer just because I love Hammer so much. But just to show that I'm not a uh, uh, one trick pony over here, oh. I'm going to burn Pirates of Blood River. I still think it's a entertaining movie for what it is, but it it it's just not really a pirate movie. <laughs> right. And not that something has to fit the theme of the episode perfectly in order for it to be the movie that I liked the most, but, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a fine movie, but even comparing it to Hammer's other stuff, like, it doesn't touch many of their, like, horror films that I've seen, so. Right. Uh, A decent effort, but Mm -hmm. my least favorite of the three, I, I would agree with what you said about Muppet treasure Island, that it's a little slow could have been shortened up a little bit, but um, it's still a lot of fun, great production value, a couple of real fun songs and good bits. Tim Curry is great. So Mm -hmm. like 
that's like the perfect middle ground for me between the out and out quality of the filmmaking of Cutthroat Island and like a little bit more of a disappointing experience that I had with Pirates of Blood River. So that is my borrow. Roger that. Um, for me, certainly not being tossed into the sun, but uh, Pirates of Blood River is my clear burn. Basically the same reasons you said. It's not really a pirate movie. It's just lacking in some regard, especially when you stack it up against the other two. Yep. Uh, but still good. I'm glad that you bought it three times so that I could end up owning one of the said copies. Oh, Thanks. man. In the future, if this ever does somehow happen, you can definitely tell me, hey, send that back, will you? Because I'm <laughs> about to buy another French version, Region 7, whatever the hell. I mean, now that I have the Region Fruit player, hopefully that'll never happen again. Well, you never know. There have been one or two times where I've rebought something, not realizing I already had it, but... Uh, Fair. You know, I'll continue to send you whatever extra movies I have. <laughs> okay. But uh, like I said, happy to own it, um, but just not stacking up against these other two. Coming down to the other two, I like them quite a bit for different reasons. Um, they both absolutely... Uh, capture the pirate feel that's so important tonight. It's just crazy, man, but there's no denying this juggernaut of Cutthroat Island. That is my (laughs) buy. It's just so entertaining to watch that I was kind of blown away. Like, I almost feel bad that it's got the rap it does because it's so good. Yeah. And and not to deny, you know, Muppet Treasure Island for, like, what a fucking weird-ass, I don't know drug dream of some kind of piece someone would make sure that happens like <laughs> Muppet Treasure Island but it works and it's fun it's a bit too long but still a good time but yeah god damn if I don't want to watch Cutthroat Island again already yeah now I don't even I don't know if that movie even has a blu-ray but that's an that's another movie like Waterworld that someone like Arrow needs to pick up and do like a great I was edition. gonna say <laughs> you know someone should do a super special edition yeah, for the, you know, 23 fans that are out there. Whatever. They'll sell. Yeah, but, get get yeah. you a commentary with uh, Rennie Harlan and get some interviews totally. with Gina and Matthew Modine in there. and Dude, sign me up. We're talking about a good time. Love it. So look at us, Millsy. Matching up again. Agreements. Yeah, buddy. Ending off season seven with look a little matcharoonie. Man, just look at that. <laughs> What a time to be alive. Yeah. Well, Mills, we'll be back in six short weeks. Yeah. For season eight. Can you believe it? I cannot. <laughs> I literally cannot. Well, you better. Uh, Millsy, how many uh, possible trifectas do we have to pick from? Currently, we have 236 unchosen themes. Just waiting to be selected by random number Jenny. Here we go. Oh, low numbers, Millsy, low numbers. How low can you go? 31, Millsy, 31. 31. To start off season eight, we are going to be talking a sheep in wolves' clothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen them all. Very excited to rewatch all three. I don't think I've seen the third one all the way through. That is interesting, because <laughs> Millsy 
James Miller is not one to just not finish a movie. No, I think this is one that like I never actually sat down to watch, but like when it came out, like uh, I think my grandmother loved the movie, and so I saw like a lot of it, but okay. I never like sat down to watch it. All right. Anyway, well, we'll have plenty to discuss when we come back. This is a little bit of a uh, more conceptual and difficult uh, theme. I would love to hear people's guesses, but a sheep in wolves' clothing. Yeah, no one's touching this. Yeah, this uh, <laughs> <laughs> this will be an interesting one, though. Uh, yeah, so dig it. Well, Mills. Until next time, I am Joe Daxberger, and I'm Ryan Miller. Yo ho ho. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy. Be happy. Be happy. Be happy.